All right. But I'd like to begin with a serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for having me. Um, I haven't really prepared. I don't usually prepare. Uh, just a warning. I I still have. I still like to listen to myself talk, so I might talk a lot, and I don't really know what to say. Um, <clears throat> but I'll start with, I guess, talking about, and I don't want to focus too much on uh, what I went through when I was using and all that stuff. Uh, but I guess a little briefly talking about that is, is important. Um, my name is Ali, and I'm originally Iranian. I lived in a couple of countries, then I moved to Canada when I was 13. And I lived in and around Toronto. I, I know we have at least a couple of fellow Ontarians here, and at least three Canadians here. And it's nice to be talking to people in North America. So yeah, I lived in Toronto and I grew up in Scarborough partly and in the West End of Toronto. And for those of you who are from Toronto and are from in and, in and around Toronto, uh, you know that places like Scarborough, drugs were readily available when I was young. Um, I tried to fit in, I never fit in. You know, I was an immigrant kid. I had an accent, I spoke funny. I never fit in. I was never very athletic. Uh, of course, I wasn't good in school because, you know, by the time I was in Canada, I had moved from country to country. I had, learned, had to learn a bunch of different languages. And, you know, life wasn't easy. My childhood wasn't particularly easy. Uh, I come from a broken family, grew up in Toronto with a single mother who was an immigrant who barely spoke any English. And, you know, part of the way I tried to fit in was, you know, I could get stoned. And, you know, I remember thinking when I was like 15 years old, I would rather, or 16 years old, I preferred being the pothead in the school to being the awkward immigrant kid who didn't speak any English or who had a funny accent and couldn't play sports and wasn't good in school, wasn't good in academics wise either. Uh, yeah, so I started getting high and um, you know, like it was all over. It was in school. I could, you know, actually, I, you know, I remember the first summer I stopped when I started smoking. When summertime came, I found it more difficult because now I had to find places to find my drug of choice because I could always go to school when I was in school and find it. And <clears throat> yeah, so, you know, I started hanging out with the bad kids. I was kicked out of school once, twice, three times. And some, something got a hold of me when I was around 19, 20, I think. Yeah, I think I was 20. Yeah, I was actually 20. When I was 20, by that time, my English was okay. 
I was working really hard in a summer job and I decided I'm gonna work hard in school. So I started to go really hard at studying in school and I became curious and all that stuff. And my rebellion turned to a different direction, but the drugs were always there, you know? I actually managed to like become kind of better in the sense that I wasn't getting high every day or sometimes I would be managed to get high, like refrain from getting high for over, for like a month at times, not very often. But the problem was the only hobby I had was getting high. The only way I knew how to relax was to get high. The only new way I knew how to get, uh, have fun was to get high. And eventually like my hobby got the better of me. My pastime, my favorite pastime, got the better of me and just started getting high all the time. Um, and eventually, I think I was, I moved countries. Man, I moved to China thinking like, you know, I changed. I went back to school at some point and I got my teaching license and I came to China, to Shanghai, and I thought, China is gonna be a place where there's no drugs and I'm not gonna get high. To my surprise, I moved to an area, uh, Rohit would know, um, a place called Ulumuchilu, close to Uyuanlu. And funny enough, you could just walk down the road and as I was, you walk down the road and people would offer to sell you drugs. So it was su super easy to get drugs. And I went back to getting high every day, several times a day. Um, and you know, there was times when I would tell myself that I can quit, but I would quit. I'd be clean for maybe a few weeks. The maximum I ever went was four weeks or no, six weeks. And of course I would tell myself that I'm okay. I don't have a problem anymore. I've been clean for six weeks. So I can go back to using like a quote unquote normal person, only get high on the weekends or something. But every time I went back, I would go back harder until I think I was 40, yeah, I was 42. And I couldn't, I would just get high before work at lunchtime, I would go home. I lived five minutes from work. I'd go home, get high. As soon as I came back from work, I would get high. And it was affecting every aspect of my life. I lost friends because some of my friends wanted to move on and they got married and they had kids and they became more responsible. So I wouldn't see them very often because they wouldn't want to be around somebody who gets high all the time. And they didn't want to get high all the time. I didn't play sports, didn't do nothing. I just got high. And I started doing some volunteer work. I went, I traveled all the way to Greece to work with some refugees. And, you know, being that I'm Persian originally, I speak the language that a lot of the refugees spoke. And I realized like a lot of these young kids looked up to me in a way as somebody who has 
being able to leave that war zone at a young age, although I was very young, and has opportunities that they were trying to have. And I realized, like, I realized that I had all these opportunities. I met an Afghan refugee who had, who told me about an A, he realized that because even if when I was there, I would get high very often. And he told me about the program. Um, and you know, when I came back to Shanghai, I live in Shanghai now, I realized like I have these, this opportunity, you know, I'm, I am, I'm from a first world country, like I have a passport, a proper passport. I can travel where I want. I speak English fluently, which is something all these people would, are trying to achieve. And I decided, I think that kind of like gave me a, an incentive to work harder, to actually want to do with something with myself. And I had started praying at this time. Something just prompted me, you know, I came to a point where I realized like, yeah, I can't go on getting high every day. Drugs were getting hard to find. And, you know, I even was such an addict that I thought about leaving my job and everything and moving to a place where I could get high all the time. I was thinking of moving to Thailand or something, but then you know, I went to Greece and came back and saw those refugees and I came back. And one day I decided to write down what I was doing with my life. I wrote down everything I did over a period of four days. And I looked at and I looked at it and I realized I was high the whole time. I barely did anything that could be considered productive. Over the span of those four days, the only thing I did was go shopping, grocery shopping. The rest of the time I was just lying in bed getting high or lost, sitting on the couch and getting high. And I thought to myself, well, no wonder I don't have a love life. I don't have a social life. Um, I don't have any hobbies. I'm not good at anything in my life, really. I don't play sports. I don't play music, nothing. You know? And my career is going to shit. And I decided I'm gonna find the number for Narcotics Anonymous, call them and speak with them. And I had a little bag of my drug of choice and I called somebody from Narcotics Anonymous, the hotline. And I had to have that person on the phone to give me the courage to flush my drugs down the toilet. And I did. And the next day I came to a meeting. And when I first came, I thought all I wanted was to just stop doing my drug of choice. I was gonna, I thought I was, would be able to do everything else that I didn't think I had a problem with, including alcohol. And I thought they will teach me how to use drugs responsibly, whatever that's supposed to mean. But they kept saying that no, when you're in this program, you don't pick up at all. You don't drink, you don't do drugs, not on the weekends, not on your wedding day, not on anything, not on a holiday, not when you want to celebrate, 
not when you're down, never, ever. It took me a week uh, to really accept that, that offer. Um, and I've been clean ever since. There are three things that I heard that really stuck with me during those first few days. One of them was keep coming back. The other one was what I can't do alone, we can do together. Because of course I had realized, admitted to myself by that time, which was hard for me to admit that I completely been defeated by drugs. I can't do drugs. I can't quit by myself, which is something I always fooled myself into believing that I could do. But they told, but it was nice to have this group of people who had my back, who I could call, who didn't judge me, who didn't judge me because of the stupid things I did, the stupid things I said. I mean, you should have seen me during the first three weeks I was swearing and yelling at meetings. Honestly, when I see newcomers coming in and they speak calmly, I'm just surprised because I couldn't speak calmly. When I opened my mouth, I remember people used to just put their heads down because they knew the barrage of anger, rage, resentment, all of that that was in me coming out. The other thing that I remember was we don't have to pick up no matter what. And I always remember that. That I don't have to use no matter what, no matter what happens in life. And ever since I've come in, you know, like with the pandemic and everything going on, I lost my job twice. I was without work for over a year. This is the longest time in my adult life that I've been without a job and not in school. Um, and I didn't pick up. I've been to China, I've been to Greece, I've been to Egypt. No, I've been, I'm sorry, I haven't been to Greece. I've been to China, I've been to Egypt, I've been to Turkey, I've been to Canada, of course. And wherever I go, the program has been with me, whether it's virtual or in person. Um, and I have to say, life isn't perfect, it's never gonna be perfect. You're never gonna not face challenges. Things happen, the pandemic happened. Um, right now in Canada, it's not a big deal anymore, but you know, it happened. I lost my job. I was stuck out of the country where I had a career and everything, where I had my home group for 20 months. Um, my finances got really bad. I know people who lost their wives, their husbands, but they still didn't pick up. And one of the beautiful things is, no matter how depressed I was, which I was, I was depressed at times. I never felt that complete sense of despair that I had when I was using. When I was using, there would be times where everything on the outside seemed okay. I had a job. I had people to hang out with, but I had this sense that life was completely meaningless. I don't have that anymore. I have hope now, you know, like I go through ups and downs, but I, it's, 
not bad. And I don't go through downs like I used to. If I get down now, I get do step work. I can call my sponsor. I can call one of the fellow people on the program. I can go to a meeting. And it takes at most a couple of days for me to start feeling okay again. Um, and one of the most beautiful things is I don't have to hide from people. I met a girl before I came into the program and I felt like I had to hide something about myself. I was getting high all the time, so I don't have to hide that anymore. I just recently met somebody and, you know, she's very athletic and very healthy and really a good human being. And I don't feel ashamed of myself. I have nothing to hide. Yeah, I'm not a perfect human being. I still smoke cigarettes. I still drink too much coffee. But I believe that I'm somebody that can be depended on. I was not, de I was not dependable when I was using it. And stop me when I have to stop because I'm just going on and on and on. But yeah, like if I get a job now, I won't let down my, I'm a teacher. I won't let down my students. And that's another thing, you know, I'm a teacher. So I have kids that I work with. And when I was using, it was really ashamed of myself because, you know, I had to be there for these kids. I had to be kind of a role model. I had to be the one, the adult that was responsible, but I was a fucking addict. I was using, I'd go to work, but it's huge hangover. My mind was fuzzy and I don't have that anymore. Yeah, of course I make mistakes, but I can be there for my students. And I'm happy about that. And if I don't know something, I can learn how to be there for them more. And yeah, as I said, like despair is gone, you know. Sadness can come, but despair is no longer there. Hopelessness is no longer there. Sometimes I don't have a lot of faith, but I always have hope, which is something I didn't have when I was using. And very often I have a lot of faith that everything is gonna be okay. Um, so I guess all I can say is, you know, keep coming to meetings, do step work, talk to people in the program, stay in touch with the program, never, ever, ever stop coming to meetings. The only people over the past few years that I've seen relapsed were the people who stopped coming to meetings. So coming to meetings is necessary. I try to still after three and a half years, I go to at least three meetings a week. Um, not always because I need to be at a meeting that day, but because I know that if I, that if I miss meetings for more than a week, I'll come to a point where I truly need to be at a meeting. So I pray and meditate and do step work and go to meetings and keep in touch with people in the program, not always because I need to at that time, but because I do it so that I would not need to 
have to do it. And um, yeah, life's good. I mean, it's not perfect. Life is never going to be perfect. But life is perfect in its imperfection. And I'm starting to accept my imperfections because my imperfections are not detrimental. They're not things that I am, have need to be ashamed of. I'm just human and I'm doing my best and I have a community, and I have people, I have a program and I have a higher power which can help me become stronger and get through the tough times. And I am there for people by being in the program. My friends who relapsed, one of my best friends here in Shanghai, relapsed twice over the past month and a half. And I'm very happy that I've been able to be there for him. And I'm not doing anything special. All I'm doing is doing what the program has taught me, which is to pick up the phone when he calls and to tell him to, I don't know, do a gratitude list, to come to a meeting. And, you know, these things sound simple, but I know when I was new in the program, all I really wanted for somebody to pick up the phone and not judge me for having relapsed and not judge me for doing for doing things that are harmful to myself. Yeah, we're all human and we have this program uh, to get us through the tough times. And uh, all we have to remember is to be there even the, at, in the good times when we feel good, to be there for ourselves and for our fellow addicts. Sorry, I don't know what else to say. I think I've said too much. Uh, and thank you very much for uh, giving me this opportunity to be here.